All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Yes, here we are, brand new week, but same book. We are still in the Major Prophets, Lesson 44 today, Jeremiah 40, 41, and 42, three chapters. Good luck getting through this one. You know, I will tell you, this one's pretty entertaining uh, and, and educating, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll learn something about how God speaks through his people in this time as well. Now, remember, Jeremiah is really not the most uplifting book. You know, Kevin, would you agree? Yeah, it's not. So we're like, Lord, where do, you, where do you want us to go with? Where do you see the Messiah in this? Now, we have been talking about the righteous branch, and I love the fact that the righteous branch comes from David. You see this illustration. And why we want to go there is because, look, when, when you have this image of when things aren't good, you got to find hope in this situation. And there's glimpses of hope in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That alone, you guys, is huge. No longer is he saying, hey, this is just for the south, the southern kingdom. No longer is he saying this is just for the northern kingdom. He's saying, look, I'm going to combine my, I'm going to gather my people together. And no longer do they have to live according to, quote unquote, the law. No, no, he says in verse 32, guess what I'm going to do? He says, I'm going to make a covenant, even though they've messed up. He says, they even broke a covenant that I had married with them. But he says, no, I'm going to take that law, that covenant that they've known. And in verse 33, he says this, I'm going to put this covenant within them. I'm going to put it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, remember, the reason we want to go here with this phrase new covenant is, is everything prophetically is saying, guys, you're walking into, and Kevin, if you can go to our famous, uh, or Tom, if you can go to our famous little slide here, Kings and Prophets, you know, they're walking into captivity. They're looking into a time that Jeremiah is prophesying. He's going to actually experience as well. And so what he does is he gives them a little bit of a glimpse of hope, saying, guys, when you get out of captivity, just know there's something new coming. There's a new covenant coming. And the, the awesome picture is, is that it's Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. And so this is the picture that we're running with in the book of Jeremiah. Here you are in Jeremiah 40, 41, and 42. And so as you hear bad news and negative news and uh, depressing news, you got to go back to Jeremiah 31. But Jeremiah says, yeah, but even though this is coming, I'm giving you something better. And so you got to hold on to this hope. So that's kind of our uh, our transition as we're talking here now. In Jeremiah 40, Kevin, and we're going to attempt to cover three chapters today. In Jeremiah 40, uh, what is Jeremiah known as? If a king sees Jeremiah, Kevin, what do they think? Uh, bad news is coming. Yeah, like, I'm tired of this guy. And so here's this image of Jeremiah. And so here's the cool part, though. Somewhere in here, uh, God gives favor to Jeremiah over and over. Almost 40 years of delivering bad news, right? This is the reality of Jeremiah. And so when you look in Jeremiah 40, okay, this is kind of cool. If you look, even Kevin, let's just start in verse 1, just just to build our case again. In verse 1, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, released him at Ramah. So if we can go to the map, Tom, I don't know if you have that map there. Now remember this, the Babylonians, okay, are starting to bring forth all the people. Okay, so they're meeting in Ramah. It's just right around in the area of Harmath and Aram. 
So he's here. So Kevin, remember they're on their way to Babylon, right? This is kind of like the pit stop, right? The travel stop before they get to Babylon to go in their captivity. But here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain, releases Jeremiah at Ramah. Okay, so when he found him, he was bound in chains with all the exiles of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. So there's your their backdrop. Here they are. He's bound in chains. Okay, keep going. Verse two, the guard took him and he said, all right, the Lord, your God decreed this disaster on this place. Verse three, and the Lord has fulfilled it. He has done just what he decreed. Basically, whatever you have said, God has spoken through you. And he says, because you people have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed him, this thing has happened. So he says, I recognize what you have said. Okay, keep going to verse four. Now pay attention. Today, this guard says, I'm setting you free from the chains that you're on your hands. You're with all of the people right now. They're getting ready to be taken to Babylon. He says, but I recognize who you are. I am giving you freedom. And he says, and I'll take care of you. Now, if you come to Babylon, I'll take care of you. But he says, if it seems wrong to you to go with me to Babylon, go no farther. Look, the whole land is in front of you. Wherever it seems good and right for you, I want you to go there. So you have a choice. You have a legit choice. It's a really cool picture. You have a choice. What do you want to do? Kevin, what does he choose to do? Chooses to go back. He does. He's going to go back to that place where he finds home. And so, Kevin, if you would, we're going to keep going through this text. I think it's really interesting. It says, uh, when Jeremiah had not yet turned to go, Nebuchadnezzar, remember the guard, he says to him, okay, fine. Return to Gedaliah, son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the cities of Judah, and stay with him there among the people or go wherever you want to go. So the captain of the guard gave him a ration. So this is even cool. He gives him food and a gift, probably finances, and then he releases him. And so, Kevin, he's going to Gedaliah, who's then was appointed as, quote unquote, the governor of Judah, right? Over all of the cities. Why? Because he has favor. If you want to keep going, Kevin. So Jeremiah went to Gedaliah. And where does he go? He goes to Mitzpah. Okay. so he's continuing to go down south. He stayed with him among the people who remained in the land. Verse seven, when all the commanders of the army in the field, they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahakam, over the land, and that he had put him in charge of the men, women, and children from the poorest of the land who had not been deported to Babylon. Okay, They came to Gedaliah at Mitzpah. Who was at Mitzpah? Jeremiah. So all of the commanders okay, of not their friends <laughs> decided to come and see what was going on and then go to verse 14. Okay, So all these people are coming. In verse 14, here's what they do. They, they warn... Kevin Gedalia, the quote unquote governor of Judah, don't you realize that Baalus, king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, to kill you? But Gedalia, son of Ahakam, would not believe them. So Gedalia over Judah, Jeremiah is a part of and with Gedalia. Everybody with me? In this process, they sent a guy named Ishmael to come kill Gedalia. Gedalia doesn't believe the word. Okay? He is warned that he's going to be assassinated and it doesn't happen. That's Jeremiah 40. So here you have big process, okay? Jeremiah has been set free. Uh, the captain guard said, go, go to Gedalia. He hangs out with Gedalia. All of these folks come in and they say, hey, by the way, one of these guys that's coming in, his name is Ishmael. I think that's really bizarre. Ishmael is going to come and he's going to kill you. Gedalia says, I don't think so. And he says, I don't believe in the assassination. It's not going to happen. Go to Jeremiah 41. Okay, this is the backdrop in the journey of Jeremiah. Now, in Jeremiah 41, one through three, it gets pretty, pretty graphic. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Nathaniah, son of Elishama, of the royal family. 
And one of the king's chief officers, they came with 10 men to Gedaliah, son of Ahakam at Mitzvah. This is so bizarre to me. It almost feels Judah and Jesus-esque. Okay, just for a second. Here, think about this. 10 guys are coming and they're eating a meal with who? Yes, with Gedaliah. They ate a meal together. But then Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, and the 10 men who were with him, they got up from the dinner table. And they struck down Gedaliah, son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, with the sword. You have to wonder. If Gedaliah is sitting there at the table and he knows that Ishmael, there's a word that Ishmael is going to kill him. You have to wonder, I wonder if he's going to kill me today. Apparently not. He didn't think about it. So here you have, he killed the one the king of Babylon had appointed in the land. So the king of Babylon, Kevin is Nebuchadnezzar, appoints Gedaliah to oversee Judah in the cities. Uh, and Ishmael still comes in and wipes him out. I mean, can you not just, can you not just think about this for a second? Like, It's always like people are after killing God's people. The Jews are constantly like trying to be wiped out, even if there's this little, little remnant. But you had to go back to the whole story, Kevin. What was the original word from Jeremiah? Everybody needs to go to Babylon. And yet still in all of this, Jeremiah goes to Gedaliah. He hears from the Lord. I'm supposed to go hang out with him. And then he gets killed. So it says in verse three, just to wrap all of this up, Ishmael, he struck down all the Judeans who were with Gedaliah at Mitzpah as well as the Chaldean soldiers who were there. Okay, now this is where it gets interesting. Okay, verse four through six, if it hasn't already. On the second day after he killed Gedaliah, when no one knew yet. So nobody knew about the dinner table massacre, right? Nobody knew, nobody heard about it. Verse five, 80 men came from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria. They shaved their heads, they shaved their beards, tore their garments, gashed themselves, and they were carrying grain and incense offerings to bring to the temple of the Lord. Why? Because they're coming back to the land, right? So 80 people from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria. Here's what they're doing. They're coming in. Now watch in verse 6. Ishmael, he's a little trickster. Son of Nethaniah, he came out of Mitzvah to meet them, weeping as he came. Like he's connecting with these guys, Kevin, because what are the other guys planning on doing? They're coming to the temple, right? They're coming to the temple. As Has the temple been completely destroyed? Not yet. Not yet, right? From what we can tell. I would say so. I'm, it's coming. I'm sorry. I'm processing what I've studied and what haven't I studied. <laughs> and when he encountered them, he says, come to Gedalia, son of Ahakam. Well, Kevin, Gedalia, son of Ahakam is dead. So what's he going to do? Show him his burial plot? But when they came into the city, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, and the men with him, they slaughtered the men. As of right now, because we haven't moved on, all we know is that there's 80 guys. It says they slaughtered them. And then what did they do? They threw them into a cistern. I wanted to do that since I've seen the painting. So all of these dead guys are thrown into a cistern. Now, all right, here's where it gets more interesting. Verse eight, hold the pause, okay? There's 10 of them though who said, wait, 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 don't kill us. We've got some hidden treasure in the field. Wheat, barley, oil, and honey. This is what we got. So what does Ishmael do? He's like, oh, okay. I like wheat, barley, and oil, and honey. (laughs) I mean, oh, okay, I'm not gonna kill you because I clearly like those things. So he stopped, didn't kill them along with their companions. If I'm the other 70, I'm like, why didn't I think of that? So, all right, Kevin, where are they thrown? In the cistern. Into a cistern. All of them slaughtered except 10 guys. Now in verse 10, we haven't even got to chapter 42 yet. Now in verse 10, here we go, okay? Uh, Now, or verse nine, excuse me. Now the cistern where Ishmael had thrown all the corpses of the men, he had struck down was a large one that King Asa had made in the encounter with Basha, king of Israel. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. It's like his own burial plot. Oh, that's a good cistern to put dead people in. 
Then Ishmael took captive all of the remnant, okay, this is where it gets kind of interesting, of the people of Mitzvah, including, okay, look at this, including the daughters of the king, all those who remained in Mitzvah over him, over whom Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahakam. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set off the cross over, over to the Ammonites. All right, so, Kevin, this story gets more and more interesting, doesn't it? You just kind of begin to walk through this. Now, in this, all of a sudden, in 11 through 18, okay, you have a, a, a new guy, and his name is Johananan. <laughs> Sounds like a song. When Johananan, son of Korea, and the commanders of the armies, with him heard of all of the evil that Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, had done, what does they do? What do they do? Johananan says, okay, I'm going to bring my men. I'm going to fight with Ishmael. And, and they found him by a great pool in Gibeon. It continues on in verse 13. When all the people with Ishmael saw Johananan and all the commanders of the army with him, what did they do? They rejoiced. Who are the people? This is the remnant, right? That they've been held captive. So now they're being held captive in their own land. Kind of an interesting scenario, isn't it? Now you have Babylonian captives and you have captives in there. They're rejoicing because Johanan is coming, verse 14. And it says, and all the people whom Ishmael had taken captive from Mitzvah turned around and they rejoined Johanan. So it's just kind of like, they just left. I don't know how that works, but they just said they went one and then they went to another. Apparently he wasn't watching him closely. Verse 15, but Ishmael, that little weasel again, he escapes from Johanan with eight men and they went to the Ammonites. Okay, are you catching all this? So you have Ishmael, he killed Gedaliah. Jeremiah is hanging out in all of this. This is what's so crazy. And then Johanan comes and he comes in and he starts saving the day. Verse 16, Johanan, son of Kariah, and all of the commanders out of the army with him then took from Mitzvah all of the remnant of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, okay? After he had killed all these people, the men, the soldiers, the women, the children, the court officials whom he brought back from Gibeon. So basically what you have is in 40 and 41, you have this weird interlude, right? Of captives that are there, people that are there. Gedalia is supposed to be overseeing them. By the way, you're going to get assassinated. It happens. Ishmael comes in, assassinates. Johanan comes in. That guy leaves and the captives are set free. I just didn't want you to miss this story. It's too good of a story. And oh, by the way, a lot of dead people are in the cistern. In verse, uh, Kevin, if you go back just a little bit here, in 17, so what happens? They, they go through this process, uh, which is near Bethlehem, is where they end up. They feared them because of Ishmael, son of Nathaniah. Um, yeah, let's just jump into verse 42 before we, that'll, that'll, we'll go down some rabbit trail. So verse 42, here's where we're at. Okay, we finally get to the text, strangely enough, that I actually studied a whole lot more here. And I just think, uh, Kevin, in this story, you have to kind of wonder, uh, where's Jeremiah in all this? I mean, he's part of that, clearly the remnant, maybe even the captives, but he's been set free. But you have to kind of wonder in 4041, what is he doing? So it says in Jeremiah 42.1, then all the commanders of the armies, along with Johanan, good guy, Jezaniah, and all the people from the least to the greatest, they approached Jeremiah the prophet. So clearly they see God's hand is still on Jeremiah. Clearly Jeremiah hasn't been touched. And here's what they say. They said this, may our petition come before you. Pray to the Lord your God on our behalf, on behalf of this entire remnant, for few of us remain out of the many, as you can see with your own eyes. And what do they keep praying? That the Lord your God may tell us the way we should walk and the thing we should do. Now, this is where it gets really, 
really interesting. This sounds like a legit prayer, does it not? Like, hey, Jeremiah, we're praying. Could you help us understand where we're supposed to go? I'm going to just say a couple proposals. Theologians, when you look at this perspectives, like if, if I was just reading this right now, I'd be like, oh, this is a great prayer. They're clearly asking for direction, right? But here's what's interesting. If you go to the end, Kevin, uh, because who knows how much time we have. <laughs> if you go to verse 19, okay, like it's clear that God is exposing uh, their true motives. Like I actually don't believe that this prayer that they have, and I didn't get it until I started reading through this, uh, I didn't know that it wasn't legit. Look at verse 19. The Lord has spoken concerning you. Remnant of Judah, don't go to Egypt. Know for certain that I have warned you today. So, okay, here, here's the part right here. Verse 20, look what he says. You have led your own selves astray because you are the ones who sent me to the Lord God. Remember, he says, pray to the Lord our God on our behalf. And as for all that the Lord our God says, tell it to us and we'll act accordingly. So I heard what you said, but here's what he said in verse 21. For I have told you today, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God and everything he has sent me to tell you. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Verse 22. Now, therefore, know for certain by that by the sword, famine and plague, you will die in the place where you desire to go to live for a while. In other words, you have you had wrong motives. And in fact, you didn't even really want an answer unless I gave you the answer that you wanted. Okay, does that make sense? So you came to me and it sounded like, oh yeah, this is what I wanted. Now watch, let's just unpack this now. Okay, so just know bookend, the prayer sounds great. On the back end, Jeremiah says, man, I, that's not what you wanted. So he says this in verse four. Okay, so they're saying, please pray for us. It, basically what you have with Johanan is that he's almost borderline. Again, maybe somebody else will have a different perspective on this. It sounds hypocritical. He comes in, he kills Ishmael. But now he says, hey, pray to God that you will, like, he'll direct our paths. Really, Johanan, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Can I just say, I bet there's a lot of us, myself included, when we pray, we really already have everything in mind. God, would you just bless us as we go to, you know, whatever city, Missouri? God, would you show me if I'm supposed to go to Missouri? But the reality is, is you're already going to Missouri. You just want God to, to make sure you, he blesses it because you've already made your mind up. That's what Johanan does. Hey, would you just bless the efforts? Because we're already going to Egypt. I don't really care what you say. Watch, this is what's crazy. And so he says, remember, let's have the Lord tell us. But Jeremiah says in verse four, I have heard. I will now pray to the Lord your God according to your words. In every word that the Lord answers you, I will tell you, I won't withhold a word from you. And here's what they said to Jeremiah. As for every word the Lord God uh, sends you to tell us, if we don't act accordingly, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. Okay, you heard all this craziness. Ishmael comes in, kills Gedalia. Johanan ends the hero. He comes in, saves the day. Now he comes over to Jeremiah and says, hey, would you just ask God which direction we're supposed to go? Now, we know the end result, but in the process, Jeremiah says, yep, absolutely, I will pray. And then in verse 6, he then says, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will obey the voice of the Lord. You know, I, I wish we could all say that. God, I want you to speak to us, but whatever you say to us, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we're going to receive it. We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us. We will certainly obey the voice of the Lord our God. You know, I was just preaching at a church in northern Indiana uh, last week. And right before I got up to preach, they asked one of their leaders to be praying that week 
to release a word over my life. And so he got up, he had two scripture verses, he had his back turned to everybody and he just spoke right into me. And in my mind, I was prepared. I had already studied this text. In my mind, I'm like, well, God, whatever he says to me, may I receive it. Pleasant or unpleasant. But when it's unpleasant, you know what you like to do usually? I don't really like that word. I don't really want to do that. What do you mean God told me to go do this? And so we play these games. And so really, that's what Johannanen's doing. It sounds religiously correct. I mean, I'm sure as a pastor, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus, but I'm sure you see it all the time. Uh, I think I've even fallen into the trap. Yeah. Look, I think all of us have. Maybe Rich hasn't. Rich? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what Jeremiah does, okay? He says this, watch this in verse 7. I love this. Now, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So you know what he did? He prayed for 10 days. He asked the Lord for t- in 10 days, God, I need you to give me a word to speak into Johanan about what he's supposed to do. I think there's a lot of uniqueness in this whole situation. Think about this. 10 days, Jeremiah's praying. I- I've read enough of the different perspectives. Maybe, maybe he gave 10 days for Johanan and the crew to be like, man, maybe we should be really be open to what he's going to say. Right? I mean, maybe there's a process because the end result is, you know what he says? He says, guys, I need you to actually stay in the land. I don't want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stay in the land. So maybe, maybe these 10 days are even in a time of prayer, a time of confession, a time of repentance. Like, you know, God, I'm really not there yet to receive your word. So like, maybe it's this progression of like waiting to hear from the Lord, because if you have any desire to go to Egypt, any desire to go somewhere else, you're going to be walking in sin. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to stay. I need your heart to be prepared. That's what a time of prayer does. I'll just say our nation needs a time of prayer, specifically the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs time to cry out to the Lord, because I think sometimes just like Johanan, we have ill motives. God, how do we come back to what you have originally stated? And I think sometimes you need to hear from the prophets and the prophet's words aren't always the best. So we got to get our heart right to receive the word. And so he's ready to give the word. Okay, he's going to give three parts of this answer. And and I like these, uh, you know, these three parts here. One is, as he gives, Okay, this comes from Warren Wearsby. First of all, he gives a promise. Okay, in verses seven through twelve, this is what he does. He gives Johanan a promise. He summoned Johanan, son of Korea, all the commanders of the army who were with him and all the people from the least to the greatest. So, Kevin, he's not holding back. He's telling everybody. Right. I don't want to just tell this guy. I'm going to tell everybody. And in verse nine, he says this. This is what the Lord says. The God of Israel to whom you sent me to bring your petition before him. Remember, remember, you asked me to bring a petition before the Lord. You asked me to do this. I'm now going to release it. And in verse 10, he gives the promise. He says, if you will indeed stay in this land, you're in you're in Judah, you're in this area then I will rebuild and not demolish you. I will plant and not uproot you because I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought on you. So what does he promise, Kevin? He promises simple things. What are they? Uh, I will. Uh, he's not going to bring disaster upon him. I'm going to rebuild. You're going to plant and you will have no disaster. In other words, here's what's crazy. And I like what John MacArthur said. He says, by God saying this, by the using the word, I relent concerning the disaster. He's saying, I am satisfied with the punishment inflicted. Okay. If you don't bring on any more new offenses, you've already gone through enough. 
I'm okay with you staying here. That sounds like a bring out the cups, let's party. But then he continues on. And he says, really, in verse 11 and 12, don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Don't be afraid of him. This is the Lord's declaration, because I am with you to save you and deliver you from him. I will grant you compassion and he will have compassion on you and allow you to return to your own soil. So, Kevin, amidst the own promise, he says also, don't fear what? The king of Babylon. Don't fear the king of Babylon because he's still lurking and looming. Right? There's a whole lot of presence of this guy. Just relax. Find out and know that you're okay. But now in verses 13 through 19, look what he does. Wiersbe then just says one simple word, one simple phrase. He then gives him a warning. He gives Johanan and all of the people a warning. And he says, but if you will say, we will not stay in this land. So as not to obey the voice of the Lord your God. In other words, uh, that would be if you decide to not listen to me. That I just told you. And if you say, no, instead, we're going to go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war, or hear the sound of the ram's horn or hunger for food and we'll live there. Then, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. Then hear the word of the Lord, remnant of Judah, the little group that you are. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says. If you firmly resolve, OK, to go from here down to here. By the way, not my land. If you are firmly resolved to go to Egypt and live there for a while, then the sword you fear will overtake you in the land of Egypt and the famine you are worried about will follow you on your heels there to Egypt and you will die there with the sword and with famine, you'll die in Egypt. It sure sounds, you guys, like the Israelites of the old, doesn't it? Oh, just, we're in the wilderness. Kevin, it's great. It's great back in Egypt. Even if we had to work our tails off, at least they're providing for us. Let's go back to bondage. And God says through Jeremiah, his prophet, if you go back to Egypt, you not only will experience bondage, you'll die. And in verse 18, for this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, just as my anger and fury were poured out on Jerusalem's residents, so will my fury pour out on, on you if you go to Egypt. You will become an object of execration, execration, scorn, cursing, and disgrace, and you will never see this place again. In other words, you like it here, you want to go here, you're never coming back. So he gives him a promise, you got future, but if you, if you choose to ignore my word, you will receive not only the wrath, but you will receive death. And then finally, what you have in verses 18 through 20, and I think this is the picture that we talked about at the very beginning, is that you see an exposure, an exposure of their heart. And, and it's in verses uh, 19 through 22. The Lord has spoken concerning you, remnant of Judah. Don't go to Egypt. Know for certain that I've warned you today. He says in verse 20, <laughs> you've led your own selves astray because you're the ones who sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray to the Lord our God on our behalf. And as for all that the Lord our God says, tell it to us and we'll act accordingly. In other words, okay, they really didn't have any desire to hear his prayers. They didn't have any desire to hear God's plans. They literally wanted, and I like what Warren Wiersbe says, they just wanted God's approval of what they had already decided. They just wanted the blessing of, would you just approve what we're planning to do? They said in verse 21, For I've told you today, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, your God, in everything that he has sent me to tell you. Like, are you following this? Like, the prophet Jeremiah had such discernment as he's releasing this, he's already like, you're not going to obey this. Now, therefore, now know for certain that by the sword, famine and plague, you will die in the place where you desire to go to live for a while. 
And that's exactly what happens. They are making literally a fatal decision. We're okay with going down in, in Egypt. And it really is an exposure of their heart. Warren Wearsby closes it out, and I'd like to say this. Uh, it's the case of the Johannan syndrome. What's the Johannan syndrome? It's really saying, God, would you bless only my thoughts and my efforts, and I don't really care what you think. That's really what it comes down to. God, I, I'm, I'm going to go to Egypt regardless, but it sure sounds good if you bless me and you send me out. And God says, if you would like to play that game, where you trust your own heart and not in me, you'll die. Thus says the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. You gotta love Jeremiah. All right, guys, uh, it's been a fun little three chapters. We'll talk to you tomorrow as we continue to explore through the book of Jeremiah. Thanks. Thanks.